What's poppin', y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Heliocentric Podcast. I'm your host, Pierre, Pee Wee the Plug, Andreessen. As always, everybody at home watching on YouTube, make sure you hit that like button for me. And if you're new and you enjoy this type of content, make sure you subscribe. I'm really looking for y'all to smash that like button. Let's get a thousand likes on this video, get into that algorithm more and more. And then everybody at home on the road listening to this podcast, make sure you head over to whatever podcast platform you use and leave this podcast a five-star like and review. It is always much appreciated. It means a lot more than you guys know. So I thank y'all to everybody who does the extra to show the support and love. Thank y'all so much. We got a lot to talk about today. So y'all can tell by the title, we're diving in into 20 teams that are right now going to be looking for playoff spots. We have the top eight in each conference and plus um, the nine and 10 teams who are going to compete in the play in with seven and eight to uh, eventually try to find a playoff spot. Before we talk about that part of the episode, though, I want to start off just saying how much the injuries are kind of piling up in our league and how every year obviously injuries are part of the game but it just seems like the more and more time goes on the more we start to see our stars on the court less and less obviously you know you have the main injuries so we've seen over the last few years Kawhi has missed time obviously Paul George Kyrie um, a few years ago you know we were seeing less and less of Anthony Davis and Zion Williamson you know what I'm saying Kyrie Irving just the exciting players that make our game go and the guys that, you know, make me turn on the TV, we're missing some time. Um, obviously, Lonzo Ball hasn't played in years. That That's a guy that I've always enjoyed watching. I know he's not a star or an all-star or anything like that, but he's just a guy that I think people enjoy watching play. That has been a, a, a thing. And this year, I wrote down some of the names that aren't playing or has dealt with injuries that I'm a fan of. And, like, I think a lot of these guys have fans in their own right, you know, um, John Morant, one of the most exciting and dynamic guards in our game, explosive. You're talking about putting up numbers. You're talking about highlights, being an engine. He's a guy that when he's healthy, his team is always um, in the midst of the playoff hunt and, and eventually a team that you don't want to see in a seven game playoff series. He's missed time. He's going to have, um, you know, or he's going to be gone for the rest of the year. So we won't see him. Plus the suspension that we came, we had coming into the season. We really didn't really get to see John Morant this year. Then you have Joel Embiid, you know, last year's MVP, a guy that was looking like the front runner before his injury to winning back to back MVPs. You lose James Harden and, you know, they went into the less is more theory. They were playing a lot better basketball with Nick Nurse as the head coach and Tyrese Maxey taking the next step. And a lot of that was Joel Embiid's play, being able to be one of the most elite scoring centers that we've seen in a long time, arguably in history. I don't want to go that far, but you got to put him up there. Um, the passing, the defense. He's one of the, the few players in the league. When you look at the advanced numbers, he is a 90 percentile, 90 plus percentile offensive player and 90 plus percentile defensive guy. <laughs> He's almost in the 100 percentile in both offense and defense. You know, just to be in the 90 percentile for both categories is very rare. I think there's about five or six players and Joel Embiid is at the top of that list. So to lose him, it, it affects the league in, in such a, a such a big way. Not only is his team missing him, but his team is probably not going to be looked at as as serious as they were when and if he's going to return to be healthy. They were a team that potentially could sneak in a contention. They were a team that you might see matched up with one of the teams that we look at as a contender and they may hey up upset 
How is how is Boston going to guard Joel Embiid? Do you think Al Horford has what it takes to continue to be that guy? You know, what about the Bucks in Philadelphia matching up? The Knicks in Philly? Like, they were just a team that even if they didn't go to the finals, they was going to make the road a lot harder for a Boston, for Milwaukee, um, for New York. You know what I mean? Things like that for Cleveland. So now that they're kind of, you know, in that situation, that affects the league. Um, Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal has probably had the most unfortunate season so far. Being traded to a new team, you're playing in a new situation where you go from being the man in Washington for years, the guy. Everything runs through you from the offense to the last shots, the media. Everything is dedicated and catered to you, right? And usually you go to a team and you're playing with another guy. It's like, oh, we teaming up. So now, no, he's going to play with two other guys. And now he's kind of, you know, taking a back seat, you know, the double way. So um, I know for him, he just wanted to be on the court, wanted to be on the court, find his role, find his spot that complements Devin Booker and, and Kevin Durant. And he talked about that, taking on a, the challenge defensively and, and trying to figure out ways where he can be effective because you are playing with a Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. And he's had a hard time just being on the floor. You know what I mean? Now he's dealing with a hamstring injury. I think he had a broken nose, uh, something before that was going on. I don't know if it was an ankle like he has had the injuries pile up and it's frustrating for me and it's it's not anything that's dedicated to him but I'm frustrated just as a basketball fan because it's nothing more refreshing than hearing a guy who has led the league in scoring I believe has been a 30 point scorer has been an all-star um going to a new situation with two other guys and being like hey this is Devin Booker's team Kevin Durant is the man I am trying to figure out how to help I get my I get who I am. I am very self-aware of who I am and who I'm playing with. I'm just trying to figure out what I can do to make this thing work, whether that's being a defender, whether that's being a spot of guy playing off of them. That's refreshing to hear. And when you see a guy have that mindset and have that self-realization about himself, I'm rooting for him to be healthy so they can figure it out. And, you know, he just had a hard time staying on the floor. So Bradley Beal is another name. Zach Levine is an exciting player. Um, not the most winning player, you know, having a hard time figuring that side of his career out. I think he's unfortunately been with some bad teams, but he's still an exciting guy. He gave us our fifth, maybe I think he gave us our first 50 point game this year against the Detroit Pistons in the second game of the season for the Bulls. And, you know, he's out for the rest of the year with an ankle injury after being rumored in so many different situations where he could be a Cav, he could be a Spur, I mean, a, a Laker, a Spur, a Nick, all of these different rumors. He's out. Um, his teammate Patrick Williams, he's not an all-star and exciting player, but I know, you know, Bull fans like him. He's out for the rest of the year. We just found out a couple days ago. Shaden Sharp, one of the young players I like, an exciting guy, a guy that I think the, the dunk contest could have used. He's out with a core muscle surgery situation he just had. Trey Young, we just got uh, like two days ago. He's having left-hand surgery. He'll be reevaluated in four to five weeks. Um, you know, he's an all-star. It's a guy that, that puts up numbers. It's fun to watch. His team needs him. They're in the midst of a playoff hunt. He's out now. Uh, Garland and Evan Mobley, they're back, thankfully. They came back um, a month or so ago, maybe two months ago now. Time is going about so fast. But the first half of the season to, to start, you know, we've seen them gone. Arthroscopic uh, knee surgery for Evan Mobley. And Darius Garland was drinking through a tube with a broken jaw. And LaMelo Ball with his ankle injury. I'm looking at that and I'm kind of getting concerned seeing how his brother's career is going. The fact that they were winning the triple B's 
If that had anything to do with it, who knows? But they're dealing with lower body injuries and it continues continually is being the knee or the ankle for the ball brothers. And so I'm getting a little bit concerned because LaMelo to me is a star. LaMelo ball is a phenomenal basketball player. And I would be ashamed to see him kind of go through the same thing that we're seeing with Lonzo. You know, Lonzo is the most unfortunate story in the NBA when it comes to the injuries because the guy kind of gets forgotten about. It's been that long. It's been years, y'all, plural, years. We've seen guys miss six months, nine months, seven months. We saw Kevin Durant have an Achilles injury. He's played more than Lonzo Ball over the last few years. So, and then the other night, Tyler Hero. Luckily, it's it's a very minor injury uh, with a hyperextended knee, but in a time, you, you don't know what it is. You know, Hami Hakez is missed time. My Knicks, we're missing Julius Randle. We still don't know if he's going to get sh- sh- uh, shoulder surgery. Uh, Ogiana Nobi had the elbow situation. He got hurt. Like, the injuries are really piling up, y'all. They're really piling up. That's a good, like, 10 names that I just named, and they're all, if not the face, they're, like, significantly important to their team and the success that their team can have. The Heat need Tyler Hero right now. The Heat need Tyler Hero. The Cavaliers did a good job staying on fire without Garland and Evan Mobley, but when you talk about the playoffs in the second half of the season push to really fight and claw, they need those guys. Shout out to Donovan Mitchell. And, and, and company for holding it down while they were gone because they did a hell of a job. They were probably the best surprise this year, uh, seeing them miss two starters and still be what they had a stretch where they went 17 and one in 18 games. Phenomenal. But again, in the playoffs and that real second half push where teams start to tidy it up, they're going to need those guys. They are going to need those guys. Trey Young, the Hawks are trying to fight in. They're in a 10th spot. They need all they can get. That's going to be a situation that's really, really interesting to see. They won last night against the Magic. Uh, DeJounte Murray played really well, and I think that's going to be a storyline that you see a lot of people zoom in on, myself included. I'm going to watch how the Hawks are over these next four or five weeks without Trey Young. If they fall out of the playoffs, then obviously you know what a conversation is going to be. It's been about trying to move on from DeJounte Murray so they can uh, go into this phase where they're building around Trey Young and Jalen Johnson and trying to make that final build around Trey before they wash their hands and say, hey, maybe we should take this in a different direction. But the interesting part of that is if DeJounte plays how he played yesterday and this team wins games and stays afloat or, God forbid, because the Bulls are in front of them, move up in the standings without Trey Young, I think that's a conversation that you'll see happen too. Hey, what if we moved on from Trey Young, who's way more valuable than DeJounte on the open market, and we restructure this team with DeJounte, DeAndre Hunter, you know, we still got Jalen Johnson, Capella, and whatever we can get back for Trey Young, we may still be able to retool and not necessarily rebuild and repivot all around. So that's going to be something that I'm watching extremely close. Um, and yeah, man, I, I just don't know the conversation after the Trey Young injury that I was seeing on Twitter was basically asking why are we consistently seeing guys in our league be, you know, be hurt? Some people were were bringing up the pace, how fast we're playing, the offense, you know, going up and guys just running up and down, 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 up and down. It's so fast paced. It's so open. You know, guys are guarding so many different actions at once. I don't know if that is, I'm not saying that's a bad point. I'm not ruling that out. That's definitely something to consider. But another thing for me is the AAU culture and youth basketball. Our young players 
before they enter the league, have so many miles on their young bodies that it, it affects them when they get to this league. You know what I mean? Like the NBA is supposed to be the big jump for you for games played. You're supposed to have to get used to playing 82 games and guys still have to get used to that. But it's so many miles already on the body when these guys are entering college and entering the NBA. They're playing for the high school team. They're playing AAU. They're playing for multiple AAU teams. The AAU circuit is is like I went to one of my brother tournaments before and I've seen my brother play three or four games in a day. Three or four games in a day. You'll see a you'll see AAU games start at nine and these guys won't leave until seven. And they're playing a the game. Then they got to wait two hours for the next game. So the body is getting warmed and and, 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 and moved up and, you know, they, they ready. It's loose. And then you got to wait another two hours for your next game. So then your body gets cold, calm and, or, and more tightened up. And then you got to get re-loose again. And then you play that game, and now you got to wait three hours for the next game. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you just your body just keeps getting warm, st- loose, cold, stiff, warm, loose, cold, stiff, and it's just boom and boom and boom. And it got to be taxing on the body. It has to be. And then, God forbid, you do become a high level Division One player, and you're going to a Duke, you're going into a Kentucky, a Kansas, um, a UCLA. You know what I mean? One of these big conference schools. You know, you're going to the SEC, the ACC, the Pac-12, uh, the Big East. You're going to then go into a program where they're going to have you come in early. You're going to be on weightlifting. You know what I mean? You're going to be practicing. Like, it's extremely taxing. So I, I think that's one of the things. You look at the list of names. All of these guys that I named that are currently out, they come from the AAU culture. They come from the AAU culture. You know what I mean? John ja Morant, that, 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 these guys are young guys. These guys come from the circuit of playing a bunch of different basketball to get as many different looks as you can and try to get in front of so many different eyes. You know what I mean? EYBL, Peach Jam, um, you know, all these different circuits and all of these. And, and it feels like every year there is a new a new thing to go play at or, or play in. You know, I mean, I'm seeing guys on the AAU circuit and I'm going to see them uh, on online at the Drew League. And then obviously that's just what we know about. Not to mention you might get an invitation as a young player to a Chris Brickley run because you tied in with Chris Brickley. So it's like, man, come get some run with some of these pros. You might get an invite to Rico Hines at UCLA where it's like, hey, I'm a young dude. I'm trying to learn. Let me get in there with Pascal. Let me get in there with Russell Westbrook, James Harden. Let me try to learn from some of these guys because they're where I'm trying to be. They are who I'm trying to become. And when you think about how much basketball is being played, it's a lot and it's taxing on the body. You know, a lot of these young guys are playing more than they're training. And that's how I grew up playing. You obviously have your school year. You play in the summer a little bit, but the summer is really to train and fine tune those weaknesses. You know what I'm saying? You're trying to turn those weaknesses into strengths. And then when you're in season, you're still training and practicing. And that's when you're really just you're working on your strength. You're staying sharp in your strengths. Right. So if I'm a shooter in my season, when I'm not practicing with the team, I'm getting my shots up from three. I'm working on my one dribble pull up. I'm working on my footwork coming off of the screens this way, going left, going right. You know what I mean? I'm catching, falling out of bounds. I'm taking corner threes. I'm up top. I'm picking and popping. Whatever my role is on my team, I'm taking time outside of my basketball schedule and I'm working on it in season to stay sharp. When the offseason comes, I'm a shooter and I'm going to work on staying sharp with my shooting, but I'm going to work on my weaknesses too. So now I'm 
putting the ball on the floor, working on my shot off the dribble, step backs, and you know what I mean? Like transition pull-ups, one dribble pull-ups into the mid-range. When they run me off the line, am I ready to take one dribble, snatch back, back to the three? You know what I mean? Like different counters. That's when you do that. So when you when you talk about training, playing, 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 guys playing on three different teams in the summer, uh, three games a day, traveling over here, traveling. It's just a lot on the body, man. It's just a lot on the body. And when you get to college, it goes up a whole different different element from the conditioning, the training, the film, the practice. You know what I mean? Like college is a whole different thing. College is like colleges, they can, they can, they can schedule a practice at two o'clock in the morning. You go play for John Calipari and you have a big game against, let's say, Tennessee. Y'all go out and shit the bed against Tennessee on national TV and piss him off enough. He'll say, when we get off of that plane back home, nobody don't go right to the gym. They, that's the, you don't have that type of shit in high school. Your coach is not going to say that. He'll be pissed. He'll probably give a speech. But then you get to go home. And then the next day you got school and practice is going to be from 3 to 5 or 3 to 6, 3 to 5, 30 or 3 to 5. And the last hour is um, a film session against your opponent in, in two days. John Calipari, Bill Self, you know what I mean? Uh, Shaka Smart. They have the control to be able to say, fuck that. Practice that is, is as soon as we get back home. Y'all ass just pissed me off. We going into the gym and we running for an hour at one o'clock in the morning. I don't give a fuck how tired y'all are. That's how college is. So it's a whole different playing field. But I just think that that's something that we have to consider and something that catches my eye. And when I talk to um, people that's in the basketball world, um, as far as youth basketball, that's just something that's eye-opening. The amount of basketball that young kids are playing before they even get to where they're trying to go to is eye-opening. And when you think about the mileage on these young bodies, it makes sense why, I don't know, the last decade, how many first overall picks have we seen like not really play? I remember when the 76ers were drafted, they drafted Ben Simmons. He was out for the first year. And B was out for the first year. Markel misses first year. New Orleans Noel was out for the first year. You know what I mean? Like we've seen a lot of different, Chet was out his first year. A lot of different, because Chet was playing, Chet was playing in Seattle at the, I don't know if it was, a, yeah, I think it was the crossover, Jamal Crawford's thing. You're just playing so much basketball, so much basketball. But um, that's my two cents on that conversation. It is definitely a lot of disappointing because we have so much talent that you just love to see. And you don't realize what you have until these players are gone. You know what I mean? It's very, it's very easy to forget about or to take for granted a talent like LaMelo Ball when he's healthy. The Hornets suck. You know what I mean? And they, they've not been that good, partly because of LaMelo's injuries the last few years. But then it's like when he's not there at all, it's like you didn't end up like it's like, damn, you know what I'm saying? Shaden Sharp, yeah, he's not he's 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 a nice young player, but him not being here at all is like, damn, I kind of miss watching Shaden Sharp. J- John Morant. Yo, Joel and B was in the MVP running. It, it it's kind of like, what the hell now that we don't have some of these guys? Trey Young, a lot of people talk shit about Trey Young, but over these next four to five weeks, I bet you're gonna miss his game. You know what I mean? Like you might not be the biggest fan, but these guys missing hurts the league, is, is the point that I'm making. And when, you know, we saw Zion miss time. That was another young player who missed time um, when he first came into the league. So that's that's my two cents on that topic. Just something to keep an eye on. I would definitely love people in the comments if you have any opinions, anything that you think could be playing a part 
definitely uh drop drop it in the comments i'm definitely interested to hear y'all perspective um whether you played whether you don't play whether you have a little brother cousin whether you notice in some patterns um please please inform me because i'm just very curious as to what we can pinpoint that on you know what i mean i think me strongly i'm looking at the youth basketball movement i'm looking at uh how much how much mouths we're putting on these young bodies before they even fully develop it's it's definitely interesting um but to switch gears and to go into our main topic of today's podcast, I want to talk about the biggest questions for each playoff team. And I'm calling some of these teams playoff teams because they're going to have a chance to play in the play-in, obviously. Um, so you have the top eight, and then you have the nine and ten seed, who hopefully can stay solidified where they are. There is becoming a little bit of a gap in each conference. Um, so we'll we'll see because of the, the way these injuries are, if they can maintain. The first thing I want to talk about is the, t- the top teams in each conference, right? I usually do things like this and I start from the bottom and work my way up. But because of some of these teams are so good at the top of the conference, their questions are legitimate. But it's like, yeah, you know, I'm really just trying to find, I'm, I'm nitpicking. I'm nitpicking to say the least. They are legitimate, but they're not as big of concerns. The Celtics concerns aren't as big as the Hawks is basically what I'm trying to say. The Lakers got their concern is a lot more major than the OKC Thunder, obviously. But every team does have concerns and weaknesses and things that you have to look at and consider when you talk about the playoffs. Now, for the Boston Celtics, obviously, they're as flawless of a team that you can get. That starting five unit is incredible. Um, They score. They defend. They shoot threes. They, you know, they have everything. But the one thing that I noticed when I was taking a look at the Boston Celtics is they don't force turnovers. You know, they're last in in opponent's turnovers in the NBA. And for them to be so good defensively, it's kind of a head scratcher. That just means that they're basically defensively sound. They they know how to contest shots. They have good rotations and they have the bodies in there to rebound and close out possessions. But for me, I'm always looking for teams that can force turnovers. I'm a big turnovers guy, no matter if I'm playing, no matter if I'm playing 2K. Um, If I was coaching, that's what I'd be trying to do. When you force turnovers... Number one, you start to find a a way to get easy buckets. The name of the game at every level is to generate as many easy buckets as possible. You want to get as many layups as possible. If you can get a th- if you can get seventy layups in the game and you score one hundred forty points that way, I'll take that any day of the week. I'll, that's the most efficient shot in the game is a layup. It's the easiest. It will always be the easiest. And it's always going to be the shot that we're any team that I'm on or I'm coaching or I'm a part of. That's what we're trying to get every single time is a layup, especially when it's based off of turnovers that we're causing. You get in those passing lanes. You get aggressive on those guards. You're poking the ball out. You got active hands. You know what I mean? We're going the other way easy, fast, quick. And now, boom. You know what I mean? So not only are we getting easy baskets, we're getting them fast. We're getting them fast. And we're turning the team over so they can't get into their own rhythm offensively. You're going to win the game that way. If there is a team who can really cause another team to turn the ball over 15 to 20 plus times in a game, give me that team there. Give me that team there. Turnovers and points on turnovers, those are two big components for me, especially when it comes to the playoff basketball because the game it slows down because it's such a half-court-based game. So speeding up your opponent is 
by, by default is going to have them playing a little chaotic and sporadic, and that's when the turnovers come. And those turnovers allow different players on those teams to start to see the bat, the ball go in very easily. And now you're feeling yourself. You know what I mean? You you get a team like Boston where Jalen Brown can get three three breakaways, and now he got six quick points off two layups and a monster dunk. Now he's in his bag. Now he's going. And now as the game progresses, he's feeling himself. He's feeling good. Now you can get the da-da-da step back, midi, pop. And we know Tatum, Brown, those type of guys, they love that. They love that. They love those shots. They're going to take those shots. And the easier buckets that can get them going, they're going to start to make those shots. And when they're making those shots, the Boston Celtics are not going to lose games. So I'm looking at the Boston Celtics and asking myself, do they force enough turnovers? Can they force enough turnovers? And can they allow themselves to get easy looks? Because when you're not forcing turnovers, then you, by default, start to see them have to fight and have tough buckets, which has been the history of the Celtics over the last few years when they're running, is we look at them and we say they take a lot of jump shots. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown do a lot of settling. And when you work that hard to get a bucket, it can come and bite you in the end. It really will come and bite you in the end. James Harden, at his best, was so good because he got to the free throw line a lot and he got layups and threes. But you go back and you look, sometimes James Harden only hit three threes. He only hit, you know, a few threes. But he still got almost 30 points because he had 10, 8 to 10 layups. He shot around 11 free throws. That's already like 20-some, 20 20-plus 20 points. You know what I mean? You shoot, you shoot eight layups, that's 16 points. 11 free throws, that's 27 points. Now you hit three threes and shit. You know what I mean? That's 36 points right there. Right there. And, I, and, and, and that's really off me only making three perimeter jump shots. I only, I only made three tough shots. So I'm looking at that for the Boston Celtics um, going into the playoffs. Are they able to force enough turnovers and create easier looks for themselves? Because, you know, um, the history shows that the, that the half court can get tough when JB and J, J, uh, Jason Tatum are taking some of those tough shots. Now, some of the additions that they added can maybe make that that narrative change. Having Przingis space out that floor, open up better driving lanes and things like that. Having him as a scoring option. Derek White has been playing phenomenal this year. I talked about Joel Embiid being one of those few players that's in a 90 percentile, 90 plus percentile offensively and defensively. Derek White is one of those six players as well. <laughs> Derek White is one of those six players. So maybe this year when we get to the playoffs, their half-court offense will look a lot smoother and a lot better because they have those additions that they added with Drew and Chris Stapps. But, you know, historically, you know, they, they they have a hard time because they do do a lot of settling. So seeing them force some turnovers and getting some, as many easy baskets, to me, will be a big plus for them. Didn't mean to spend as much time on, on, on that. Um, but moving on, the Timberwolves will go to the Western Conference. To me, it's overall the offense. They're so good defensively. Rudy is doing his thing as a backline defender. He's got them. He's got them right. Um, you know, obviously on the perimeter, having Ant, you know, being a two-way guy who's who's really bought in and taking that challenge of locking up, especially in the key moments of the game, other star players is super significant. And then you have a guy like Mike Conley, who throughout his career, he's always been a part of really good defensive teams. Great and grind uh Grizzlies, the Utah Jazz when he went over there with Donovan, Rudy, and those guys. And then now with the Timberwolves, it makes no mistake that everywhere he goes. The defense is super solid. And then you also have a guy like Jalen McDaniels, another guy who's really, really good on the perimeter. Having him and Ant, 
you know, be the force on the perimeter and then having that back line be Rudy, you don't really doubt that defense at all. That defense is going to do what it does, but it's offense. Can they score well enough? You know what I mean? They turn the ball over a lot. They turn the ball over almost 15 times a game. 15 times a game. And I think they're going to need a little bit more flow. Uh, I think they're going to turn those turnovers down a lot, um, especially Anthony Edwards late in the game. Um, he's going to have to make make better decisions. Him and Carl, Carl Anthony Towns, they have the guys who can score. But it's all about getting those others involved. Even when you look at their bench, they don't really have that spark. They don't have a Jordan Clarkson, you know, a, a real six man who's giving you a punch offensively. Nas Reed is a guy who could do a lot of different things. He can score. He can rebound. He can defend. He, you know, he can he can play, pass for a size and handle the ball a little, little bit. But he's more of just a versatile offensive weapon in the front court. Nikhil Alexander-Walker has been really good for them, and he has certain moments. But, again, he's a well-rounded guy who takes pride um, on the defensive side of the basketball. Same thing with Kyle Anderson, versatility. They have a lot of versatility and a lot of hard-nosed defensive guys that are coming off that bench. Monte Morris was a trade line addition that maybe can provide that spark, and we'll see uh, as the in the second half of the season if he can be that for them. But that's about the most offensive punch that they have off that bench is a Monte Morris. Obviously, you would have loved to see them be able to get a guy like Alec Burks. He he went back to my Knicks. I, I liked him for them. But hopefully Monte can fill that void. They need to be better offensively. They have to be. They have to be because they're going to go up against some teams that I think is going to challenge that defense. You know, if they if they fall in line with OKC defensively, you, you, you do a damn good job. But. Shea and the Thunder are going to score points. So you got to be able to go out there and score and match up with them on that end of the floor. That'll transition me into OKC Thunder. Speaking of them, my biggest concern and question is, can they control the glass well enough? OKC scores very well. OKC can defend. But it's really about that rebounding. They have a hard time rebounding the basketball, which, again, is why they were on the market for front court help. You know what I mean? They were looking to add Daniel Gafford. I think we heard about Vucevic and different things like that. They're 29th in offensive rebounding, which you love to have a team that can get you second chance points. But they're also a very efficient half court team. I think they are first in efficiency in isolation because of Shea. You know what I mean? So um, they do well there. But they're 27th in overall rebounding. You know what I mean? And they're 29th in opponents offensive rebounding. So when you look at them getting matched up, uh, potentially right now, they're the second seed. They would get matched up against the Kings. DeMontis Sabonis could dominate a series with them on the glass. And he can get second, third opportunities for his team. And, you know, when you look at how well the Kings shoot the three ball, that could be a dangerous situation for the Thunder. DeMontis Sabonis cleaning up the glass, throwing it back out to Keegan Murray. It's very hard to guard a perimeter after giving up an offensive rebound. Everybody's kind of... You know what I mean? Scrambling, looking to match up quickly and get back to the guys and things like that. And the Sacramento Kings have the herders. They have the Keegan Murrays, the Malik Monks. You know, De'Aaron Fox is making shots. So that's something that I'm concerned about with them. On a night-in-night basis, they're getting out-rebound. 45-41 to 41 on the glass. Doesn't seem like a lot for rebounds, but four, that's four potential extra possessions that that team you're playing against is getting. And we know four extra possessions, man. That, that, that can that can turn into 10 plus points quickly. And that's the name of the game right there. Two point one to two points changes the game. One or two points can change your game. You allowing your opponent to get three to four extra possessions. 
that that can swing that can swing an entire series. So again, a lot of these top teams, they're so so well oiled. They're so good. They have so really good players that the question marks are they that big? But I do look at the OKC rebound, and that's something that you know I, I want to see them. Uh, I want to see them take up a notch. Going back to the Eastern Conference, the Cavaliers. My biggest question for them is: Is it Donovan Mitchell or die? Offensively, and if so, how far can that take you? Because right now we've seen Darius Garland, like I said, miss time, and even in the time back, he hasn't been Darius Garland. You know, Darius Garland is a guy that was an All Star a couple years ago, representing Cleveland. Um, Evan Mobley, I think, has taken major strides in his all around game, rebounding better. Um, the scoring, you still hope that there can be a leap at some point, but he's giving you 15, 10. I think Jared Allen's giving you 15 to 10. You like some of the additions that they made in the offseason. George Niang can knock down shots. Max Schroes knocked down shots. Sam Morrell can knock down shots. Karis Levert, you know how he is. Um, depending on the night, Karis Levert may lead you in scoring or he may be a negative. But you have a guy that can come off your bench and be that spark on some nights when you need it. That's the cherry on top. Are they depending on Karis LeVert giving them scoring outbursts on a night in night basis? Not necessarily. But on those nights where Darius Garland is having a slow night, on those rare, super rare occasions where Donovan Mitchell is having slow nights, to be able to have a guy who potentially can give you 20, 25 plus points off of your bench is it's a significant boost. Um, but on a consistent basis, I just haven't seen anybody outside of Donovan be real reliable you know what I mean it's Donovan and it's like his playmaking and controlling the overall game and guys being able to knock down shots off of him but in a series where they're able to key in on you for seven games how again how reliable is that and Donovan Mitchell Mitchell is a playoff riser but he's also a smaller guard and you're going to have a smaller backcourt so if you match up again with a team like the Knicks if at full health the Knicks have size that they can throw on Donovan Mitchell and potentially slow him down. And do you have anybody outside of him, you know, that can alleviate some of that pressure and, and command some attention? Because right now, if I'm matching up against the Cavs, I'm saying we're shutting down. Donovan gets our full attention attention, and we're daring somebody else to beat us. If Karis LeVert can beat us four games out of seven, hey, congratulations, Cavaliers. If Darius Garland is going to get hot and beat us, hey, He's a hell of a player. Congratulations, Cavaliers. I don't think their front court players can beat us offensively. Max Struess is good, and he opens up some things for Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland because he is a respectable shooter, something that they didn't have at the three the last couple of years with Isaac Okorwa and whatnot. But still, I'll let Max Struess beat us. Sam Morrell, I'll let you beat us. Donovan, uh uh-uh. Somebody else is going to have to beat us. And that's really my main question with the Cavs. Because, again, they've been they've been phenomenal with and without Evan Mobley and Darius Garland. They still stayed afloat and did their thing. Um, next in the East is the Bucks, The third seed, the Bucks, And it's always going to be the same thing. It's always going to be the defense for the Bucks, y'all. Now, I will say this. Since they brought in Doc up until now, the defense has improved. You have to give them that. It has improved. The transition defense has improved. Half-court defense has improved. But my question is, has it improved enough for the playoff run that they want to go on? Because it was so bad when Doc came in that it had no other, it, it, there's no other way it could have went. 
It can get no worse. So we knew it was going to go up. But can it go up to the level of contention? Because in order to contend, you're going to have to face a Cavaliers team. That's going to be extremely dynamic. And their their big punch is going to be at the guard position. And even no matter who you brought through that door to replace Adrian Griffin, defensively, your backcourt was going to be Dame and Malik Beasley. Is the defense at a point where Dame and Malik Beasley is enough when you have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland on the other side? Because we've seen the Cavs run the Bucks out of the gym already. And that's been some of my main thing is obviously the point of attack defense. Chris Middleton has been banged up all year. Another guy in and out the lineup. You don't know how much you can count on that. You add Patrick Beverly off the bench. But again, he's off the bench. It's only so much he's going to play because you're not going to sit Malik Beasley down because his three point shooting just goes so well with a guy like Giannis and the attention he receives. Jay Crowder isn't the same defender that, you know, Jay Crowder was known to be. So in a series, who do you throw on uh, at Donovan Mitchell? Who who takes the Donovan Mitchell assignment? That's something I'm curious to see. Obviously, um, Giannis is an extremely good help, uh, help side defender. But shit, I'm, I'm, I'm not concerned about that if I'm Donovan Mitchell. I don't care. I got I got some guys in front of me that I know I'm about to have my way with. Pick and roll. Easily. We getting all these type of three-point looks that we long. And you know when Donovan Mitchell hit two or three to start the game, good night. He might be 50. That might be 50 in a playoff game. For him. He, he can get you 50 in a playoff game. And I think that's where the Bucs struggle. They got two guards who have a hard time navigating screens. They have a team that has been better, but I think still needs to take strides and transition defense because of the communication. They play a drop coverage with Brooke. But I've seen a lot of teams toast that up with the in-between game. And when you're playing against teams in the playoffs, a lot of these teams are going to have dynamic enough guards where they can attack that. Brunson can attack that. Mitchell can attack that. Garland, if he gets hot, can attack that. Um, Maxi can attack that. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm looking at that defense still, even though they've taken strides of how reliable can it be. And as long as you have that same personnel – no matter who you bring in as a coach, some of those things are gonna some of those things are gonna still uh play a part. So the Bucks are definitely getting better. You have to credit them, but that's still to me my biggest question when I talk about the playoffs and them contending. Donna uh D- Damian Lillard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, they can win you a game offensively. Both of those guys can go for 75 points, 40 uh, 80 points. They can win you a game, but you're gonna have to get stops. And a lot of times in the playoffs, it's mano against Imano. It's only it's only we talked about that with Kendrick Perkins on the numbers on the board. When you get to game six, game seven in the playoff series, it's only so many. Co- it's only so many adjustments the coach can make. We we made every adjustment we can make. Now it's kind of like our best player has to get his down the stretch. And we have to have somebody who's good enough to stop their play- best player from getting his. We have to score one more bucket than them. And, and, and we go we go home. Or we advance and potentially find ourselves competing for a championship, which is the main goal that we have. So that's that's my biggest thing with the Bucs. Um, going back out west, the Clippers, it's always going to be this, man. The health of their two guys when it comes playoff time. 
I give them credit, man. Everybody is, for the most part, has been available throughout the regular season. I think the guy that missed the most time so far is probably uh, Big Zubac. But they're rolling. They're playing phenomenal on both sides of the basketball. Um, Paul George, he missed the, the last game yesterday. I think they played um, and lost to the Kings. Uh, Kawhi Leonard has missed like five games. They talked to him about it. He said, hey, I don't have a torn meniscus or knee problem, so I'm good. That's literally it. It's just that simple. If, if I'm not dealing with a knee injury, I can play. But if I'm dealing with a knee injury, then I'm probably not going to be playing. So it's always going to come back to those guys because we've seen their bodies kind of just give out on them. And as good as they've been doing in a regular season, um, as healthy as they've been, you still have to think about the history with Kawhi Leonard, with Paul George, hell, even with James Harden. And as long as they can stay healthy, I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with come playoff time. Um, Paul George, I think, has been good. People, we, we, we talked about our numbers on the board, unappreciated seasons. I said Paul George. KB made an over-exaggerating statement saying, you know, Paul George hasn't been shooting the ball well um, over, the, over a stretch of games. But, hey, even with his bad shooting, Paul George is, again, I'd bring it up, he's one of those players, 90 percentile offensively, 90 percentile defensively. He's had a very phenomenal year. Um, is it the greatest year we've seen from Paul George? No. Has he had a little slump? Yeah, but even in a slump, with his shooting 42% from the field, about 36, 37% from three, 86% from the free throw line. It happens. Slumping happens. If Steph Curry can go through a slump, if Klay Thompson, the shooters that they are, can go through slumps, trust me, Paul George can go on slumps too. But even in the midst of that, he's giving you a 38-point game, a 33-point game. So, um, I'm definitely uh, definitely still wanting to see Paul George and Kawhi be healthy um, with James Harden. The next thing we have out west, the Denver Nuggets. And it's a little bit of kind of what I talked about with the Celtics, but it's also a few other things. So, yeah, they don't force turnovers. Just like the Celtics, the Nuggets just don't force turnovers. They have a very hard time forcing turnovers, and they're not as good defensively as the Celtics. Again, the Celtics don't force turnovers, but they close out possessions well, and they're just defensively sound, and they have a legitimate guy in Drew Holiday. We've seen Drew Holiday's defense change a series. We've seen what he did in the, in the finals against Devin Booker. You know what I mean? Like Drew Holiday as as real deal and as legit as it gets. Denver. They have some guys that I like defensively. Obviously, Contavious Caldwell-Pope is really good. And then Aaron Gordon is extremely phenomenal defensively. But neither of those guys are Drew Holiday. Neither of those guys are Drew Holiday. So I would love to see the I would love to see the Nuggets force some turnovers. I also want to see the, the Nuggets get to the free throw line more. Right? I think outside of Jokic, they're extremely jump shot happy and jump shot heavily. Aaron Gordon is the guy that can get, you know, backdoor looks and get to the paint and scoring aside. Um, but he's also a guy that you're not necessarily wanting to see shoot too many free throws. I think MPJ is a very jump shot happy guy. Jamal Murray takes a lot of jump shots. KCP is a jump shot guy. They got to get some free throws. You know what I mean? Especially because you're not forcing turnovers. So where are your easy buckets coming from? You know what I mean? Their easiest buckets are probably just coming from Jokic being able to manipulate defenses and get, you know, backdoor looks for certain guys or whatnot. But I think you still want some easier looks than that. That you have to get to the free throw line. You got to get some stops and force some turnovers and get out in transition. Um, 
you know, when it comes playoff time, because, again, the game is going to slow down. It's going to be more half court based. Luckily for them, they have one of the greatest half court options you can ask for in the game today in Nikola Jokic, because he can score. He can rebound. He can get you second chance looks. And when he gets the second chance looks, he knows how to find guys and how, how to manipulate defenses as a center from the top of the key to elbow in different spots. And that right there is a really, really good thing to, to, to fall back on. But. Even with that, you still want to be able to get easy looks at the free throw line and get out and transition after causing turnovers on the defensive side of the floor. The Phoenix Suns, the fifth seed right now, really good win against the Lakers a couple days ago. Where is the bench help? What is your bench giving you? The depth. That's their biggest question. Like depth question mark. Bench scoring, question mark. Bench, question mark. However you want to slice it up, that's my thing with the the Suns. They have the second lowest scoring bench in all of the NBA. The only team that's worst scoring off the bench is the Chicago Bulls. You don't want to be in a conversation with the Chicago Bulls Suns because y'all put together a big three that is supposed to do a lot of major things that the Bulls shouldn't even be thinking about. And obviously, we talked about Bradley Beal being, being in and out of the lineup all year. You know what I mean? But, yeah, what is the Suns bench going to do for them? How reliable is that bench? You know what I mean? And that's, that the depth is always something that's going to come into play. Even with the Nuggets. I wrote that down in my Nuggets, my nuggets notes. They have, a, they have a youthful bench. You know what I mean? How reliable is the Nuggets bench going to be? Even with the strong of, of a five that they have, they are youthful. The Suns, you just don't have much. I'm seeing Ball Ball have some nights and whatnot as of recently. Obviously, Eric Gordon can be an option. Um, but outside of that, and is that really reliable? I mean, you really just have Eric Gordon or Grayson Allen, whoever you decide to not start. You're starting Nurkic, you're starting Durant, you're starting Booker. You know, if you start Grayson and 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 Bill, EG is off your bench. If you start EG and Bill, Grayson is off that bench. I like Grayson starting. The Suns seem to like Grayson starting too. Um, but they need bench help, man. They need bench help. It's like Eric Gordon on that bench or nothing. And I think they uh, they may have should have given a call. I would have hit TJ Warren up or something, man. Like, what's going on? Y'all gotta go. Y'all gotta go find. At this point, y'all gotta go sign some people and find some shit and just say, "Hey, man, try to see what you can give us off of the bench." They should have been a lot more aggressive with with, with finding some scoring. Um, I know they didn't have the best pool of assets to do that, and um, luckily for them, they do have Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant. Maybe you stagger those guys and. One, at least one of those guys are always on the floor. Maybe at least two of those guys are always on the floor. And I'll tell you like this. If Nurkic can have performances like he did against L.A., this team is going to be in a lot better shape. But I think they need something from that bench. They really, really, really do. Um, going back out east, we have my Knicks as the fourth seed behind the Bucks, And it's, it's, it's simple. It's kind of like the Clippers, the health right now. We just can't catch a break with the health for the for the Knicks. Mitchell Robinson obviously is out. Don't know what that's going to look like. Julius Randle is out. I was hoping he could rest and it could probably be an injury that can heal on his own with just time off the court and, and, and proper rehab. And now they're saying they, they, they haven't ruled out surgery. And that's discouraging here because you would have hoped that if we were going to do the surgery route, we would have did it immediately. Now we've let time go by. Now we've let the all-star break go by. And we still don't know what we're doing. And we still don't know if it's going to require surgery. And the longer we wait the more he could potentially be out playoffs extended. And Julius Randle, love him or hate him, he's going to be needed for the for the uh, foreseeable future when, it talk, when we talk about playoffs. 
We need him for any run that we're going to make. We're going to need Julius Randle. And then again, OG Ananobi. That's three starters that's out. Four Phil Healthy Knicks. We're looking at Brunson, uh, maybe DiVincenzo, OG, Randle, and Mitchell Robinson. And off the bench, you have Hardenstein. You know, you have Josh Hart, Alec Burks, Boyan. And we're talking about a team that's sound in the first five, but then that bench sounds nuclear as well. But missing some of these guys is tough. And, you know, I'm glad we did make some of the moves we made at the trade deadline because you do have some guys you can plug in if things do um, prolong. But we want to have a full, healthy team. And if not, we at least want to see Julius Randle and uh, OG Ananobi. It's, you know, like, like I cannot imagine us going into the playoffs and not having one of those guys, if not both. Not having both of those guys is a major, major hit because you want OG to be able to put on, you know, these other teams' top options. So, um, yeah, for the Knicks, it's just basically health, man. Can they get healthy right before the playoffs start and give those players enough time to get their win back under them and get their rhythm so we can go into the playoffs um, fully healthy and ready to fight? Julius Randle, he's he struggled in the playoffs. And last year you had the angle situation, so you really don't want to throw him into the midst of that fire without a little bit of time to get a rhythm up under him. Um, so we'll see with that. 76ers, same thing, man. Will Joe, Joel Embiid return? And if he does, what percentage is he at? Talked about in the intro. This is one of the most unfortunate parts of the season. A lot of teams now, we're going to bring up some names like, man, can this guy get healthy? And if he does, will he be at enough percentage to really be effective? And that's really the thing with Joel Embiid. This team is living and dying with them as much as you like Tyrese Maxey, as much as you love the addition of Buddy Heald. You know, we like Tobias Harris a lot, but without Joel Embiid, that's just only a solid team. With Joel Embiid, they have a chance to be great. I am on the impression where I don't know if I'm bringing Joel Embiid back if I'm running this team just because I don't know if it's important enough for him to re-injure himself or to make this something that could come back up my thing would be to get him at full health 100,000 percent so that we can move on from the injury and not have to think about it again I would much rather that than to try to force him to play at 40 50 60 percent and have that injury turn into a lingering thing that can have him out even past this playoffs this playoff isn't important enough to lose Joel Embiid or to have him dealing with his injury next year you know what I mean? We want to fully get over this injury and not have to think about it and put it completely in our rear view for, you know, for the future. So that's really my main thing. Joel Embiid on this team, I look at them a lot differently. Joel Embiid without this team, it's hard for me to take them serious in the playoffs. The playoffs started, if the playoffs started today, they would play against the Knicks. I'm taking the Knicks in four or five with no Embiid. That's just me being as honest as I can be. Taking them in four and five. You know what I mean? So, um, I just think that the depth is already in question with the 76ers. Then you lose Joel Embiid, and now you put so much attention and pressure on Tyrese Maxey. Um, and the guys that are to alleviate that, they're solid, but it's not like having Embiid. Embiid just makes everything else flow easily for everybody else because of the doubles, the triples, and the attention he's going to receive defensively. Um, from other teams that, you know, Tyrese Maxey can get a lot of open looks. Buddy Hill is going to get a lot of open looks. Uh, Tobias, a lot of open looks. So without that, those guys got to work a lot harder for their looks. The Pacers, always been this. Can they get enough stops? 
They foul too much. They don't rebound. And they don't get to the line. But ultimately, it's going to be about the stops for the Pacers. Everything that they do amazingly def- uh, offensively is the opposite defensively. They score a lot of points. They give up a lot of points. They, you know, they, they can shoot and make threes. Their opponents, they allow their opponents to shoot and make threes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just such a funny thing to see them like that because they're legitimately like elite def- offensively and hot ass defensively. And it's like at some point, you might want to get a little bit in the middle. Even if that offense got to fall back a little bit for the defense to go up, you might take that sacrifice because that offense won't be shit if you giving all the points right up. It's like a player that scores 35, but then his man has 33. It's like, dog, you gave up everything that you did. You, you guys are kind of cancel each other out. So they need that. Um, another thing that I didn't make as the full question for the Pacers, but that I'm looking at, they they don't have like a as, – as fun as Halliburton is – with getting everybody involved, playing fast, being a, a point guard, being able to knock down shots, they don't. They still don't have a guy that can get them one. I know they acquire Pascal, and you hope that he can turn into that, especially in the playoffs. But they're going to need a guy that they say, "Hey, get us a bucket." They're, they're not a good isolation team. Which again, I don't want to say that it's a bad thing. They play as a team. Tyrese Halliburton keeps that ball movement, keep keep them going, playing fast. But in the playoffs, it's going to slow down, and you're going to be able to have to just give Pascal the ball and have him be a reliable source of of offense when things get a little stagnant because it's going to happen. You know what I mean? It's inevitable. Same thing with Halliburton. You're going to need him to be able to say, "Watch out! I'm walking my man down with the game on the line, and I'm getting us a bucket." That's just playoff basketball. Um. The Miami Heat, do they have another run, man? Do they have another run? They're right now seventh. Tyler Hero is going to be day-to-day with that knee injury. They're still trying to implement Terry Rozier. And defensively, they do what they do. But it's always they're always going to have a tough time offensively. They're a little slow, old-school, grit-and-grind type team. You love the resurgence from um, Duncan Robinson off of their bench being able to knock down shots, finishing, and, and being a little bit more dynamic than we've gotten used to seeing him over the years. Um, but do they have another run? They're going to have to play. If, if the playoffs started today, they would be planning to play in. They would play the Orlando Magic, who is a team that could beat them. The Orlando Magic could beat them. And now you see yourselves in a situation where you have to play two games again. I think that was the same thing for them last year, where they had to play two games in order to get in. And if you lose that game to the Magic, or if you allow the Magic to jump you in the standings, you know what I mean? You put yourself in a position to where you might have to play two games or just go out and hoop and ball and play and beat a really good Magic team because the Magic ain't backing down. The Magic are tough. They got some guys who can score the basketball. They can defend. They can get stops on you. You know what I mean? Like, So regardless, even if they beat the Magic, you're playing the play-in. You're going to be a lower seed playing against a juggernaut, and you're going to have to fight through that again. You beat this. You beat the Heat. I mean, you beat the Magic. You're gonna. You're going against the Cavs, potentially. You lose to the Magic. You're playing against the Boston Celtics in the first round. And then if you beat one of those teams, you're gonna play another juggernaut. You know what I mean? It's a, it really won't be a break this year, unless, unless somehow you were to get matched up with Philly. If they just found a reason to get hot, or if the Cavs, if you if you look at the Cavs, it's like a, a breakaway for the Heat. I know they would much rather play the Cavs than the Boston Celtics, but 
just yeah, do they have another run? It's extremely hard and extremely taxing to go on those runs because every team you face is one of the top teams. You know what I mean? And last year, you know, the Giannis injury helped them a lot. It's nothing to take away their run. It was the, one of the greatest runs I've seen, but it's hard to it's, it's very hard to duplicate, especially when your star player is, is a guy that's looking to turn a switch on. You know what I mean? He really coasts through the season. The playoffs come, he's just supposed to flip the switch and go into Super Saiyan. It just kind of stacks stacks the deck against you a little bit. Um, so yeah, do the do the Heat have another run? I love what they do defensively. Obviously, uh, with Bam, Jimmy, um, and, and, and that whole thing, Caleb Martin. But um, offensively, can they be good enough? And can they go on a run? And do they have enough? So um, we'll see that with the Miami Heat, New Orleans Pelicans. Um, my thing is just guarding a three point shot. The Pelicans are a really steady team, man. They're really solid defensively. They're really solid offensively. Um, they're getting shit done. They're winning games. They're six right now. They're avoiding the play-in, which I think is really, really good for them. Obviously, it's unfortunate if the playoffs started today, they would play the Clippers. I think the Clippers would, would, would handle them. But if they could move up and play one of these teams, because it's so tight up top. You know, obviously, right now, you wouldn't want to play the Nuggets. Uh, I don't think the, the Pelicans want to do that. But maybe the Timberwolves. Maybe you get some shit off against the Timberwolves or the Thunder because they're, you know, they're youthful. Maybe you want that matchup. I don't know. But I think for the Pelicans, avoiding the play-in is a must. Avoiding the play-in is a must. You want some of that time to chill. You want to get solidified. And you want to be able to key in on who you're going to play. And six is perfect. Six is perfect because, realistically, the Clippers could jump the Thunder. The Thunder and Eclipse could jump the Wolves. You know what I mean? Like, you, 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 would, you would much rather face a three-seed than a two-seed for the Pelicans. But guarding a three-point line, man. They give up the second-most threes. You know what I mean? Like, that's 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 tough. Right now, they guard they guarding it well. I'll give them that. They ain't giving up a bunch of a high three-point completion or a success rate, but they do give up a lot. And if you're playing against some of these teams who shoot the three-ball a lot, they're probably going to catch fire. You just have to be prepared. If you're going to give up those looks, teams are going to play into that, and they're probably going to catch fire. And that's a quick, quick way to get your ass out of a out of a game or out of a series completely. But I like the Pelicans. I think the Pelicans can be an underrated team to watch. I just don't know who I pick them against as a bottom seed, right? They're going to be a bottom seed because they're not in the top four. And if you're talking about the Timberwolves, Thunder, and Clippers, Nuggets versus the Pelicans, I'm probably taking the field. Just being honest, I it's, I don't know what they're missing, but it seems like the Pelicans are missing something, but they are to be respected and acknowledged by how good of basketball they are playing. So I don't want to take anything away from them there. The Kings, the Kings, just like the Pelicans, but even worse, they cannot guard the three. They're 30th in opponent three-point percentage, which means teams see the Kings and they just lick their chops. Hey, you might hit 10 threes tonight against the Kings that like... The key, you have to be able to guard the three point line. You know what I mean. You're putting yourself in just too deep of, um, too deep of a hole by allowing teams to come in and spray the three. That be that means that teams could blow you out and punch you out of a game. And also, teams are never out of a game because the three point shot can get you right back into the game. So whenever the Kings get a 12 point, 13, 14 point lead, they can't really be that secure. Because that fast, a team can rattle off and get hot in the second half and completely change the, the entire course of the game. Or if the Kings fall behind too early, because they give up threes, an 11-point lead for an opponent could turn quickly into a 19-point lead. So that's something that I want to see the, the Kings improve on. 
Um, they need more def- defense outside of Keegan Murray. They don't really have the reliable defenders that you would like to see on the floor for them. Um, and they got to close out possessions. They got to rebound better. Um, you know what I mean? They, 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 they allow teams to really get second chance points on them. And if you can't guard the three already and then you're allowing second chance opportunities, you're just going to get crushed, especially in the playoffs. So I want to see the Kings tidy up on that. Um, the AFC, the Mavericks, who were on fire, um, who were on fire. And I'm sorry, what I just said was about the Mavericks. The Mavericks can't close out possessions. They have to close out possessions. I think the Mavericks have the the, the combo uh, swinging chance of Kyrie and Luka. I love the deadline acquisitions that they made with P.J. Washington and Daniel Gafford. I think it just gives them a different spark. I think they fit better. I think the locker room seems to be better. Grant Williams kind of rubbed people the wrong way there. But they have to start to close out possessions. They have to. Because of who they are defensively, you don't want to give up second chance points. Um, and they give they give up almost 10 offensive rebounds a game. Double digit offensive rebounds is, is insane. You're giving a team 10 extra possessions. So you work super hard, you get you you stop them, and then you just give them another possession. That's just too tough. So I want to see the Mavs close out possessions and be able to 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 get the ball on the other side of the floor. Because then now you're playing the Mavericks way. Now you're playing it to your strengths. Close out a possession, get Luka Doncic that basketball, and let him work his magic with Kyrie. And now you're in a better situation. But if you already kind of the defensive team that you are and you're giving away second third fourth fifth six seven eight nine ten extra possessions you're going to lose you're going to lose especially when you look at the spot that they're in they're eighth they're going to play in a play in they potentially play against the kings and then if you win that you play against okc you cannot give second chance looks to okc especially with that lineup that is the the best lineup in the nba when they go shea isaiah joe lou dort j-dub and then chet man isaiah joe going Fought, 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 fought that thing up, man. Um, Lakers, are they good enough? Are the Lakers good enough? We're in the bottom half right now of the Western Conference. The Lakers are at nine. Lakers would have to win two games, and then they would have to play a juggernaut. Lakers would have to play two games in a play-in and then go and play the number one seed. Are they good enough to do that? I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, Ruby Hachimura, they lo- they lost Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, I-, I really don't know, man. Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, on paper you kind of like, but uh, then you see the actual production. We'll still give him more time. He's still new there. The Lakers are just can reddishes out. <sighs> I just don't know if they're good enough, man. When I look at the bottom four of the Western Conference and I'm asking myself, who is the odd team out it looks like the Lakers. And you hate to say that because you never want to bet against LeBron. You never want to bet against LeBron. LeBron is tough to bet against, but golly, man. They can't guard three. I just I don't believe in them as a well-rounded team with the talent, especially when you look at everything else is shaping up. The Kings talent for talent, offensively, you know, wise, with the with with the firepower that they have. You like the Kings when you like the Lakers. You like the Mavs, what they have more than you like the Lakers. You like the Golden State Warriors more than you like the Lakers. When the Suns were a part of this group, I, you, you kind of like the Suns. I don't know how to feel about the Suns, but damn, it, it, the Lakers, I, they got to show us something. It's, 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 you're really taking a cachet of LeBron and Anthony Davis over anything because if you're just looking at them from this season, it's like, ah, yeah, I, I'm not in favor of the Lakers. Are they good enough? Are they good enough to be a legitimate playoff team? Not contending team, but playoff team. 
Are they good enough? Certain stretches, the Lakers will be like, oh, watch out for the Lakers, man. At any point, they flip that switch. You, they can they can knock out a, a top-seeded team. But then you watch certain games, you're like, oh, shit, this is that team? Am I sure I was right by that? I don't know if the Lakers are good enough. And just to close out the Western Conference, we'll stay out here on the out West, and we'll talk about the Warriors. It's the defense. Just like always, the Warriors foul way too much, and they're at the bottom of the league in blocks and steals. I will say they're starting to find a groove. Clay Thompson on the bench. Doc, uh, Steve Kerr taking some of those minutes away from, from Clay and Wiggins, which I think is better. Got those guys about 27, 28, games, 28 minutes a game. A lot better than just throwing them out there for 34, 35 minutes and saying, hey, they'll figure it out. They'll play out of these slumps. It's like, nah, you got too much talent on the team. Just get AirPods 32 minutes a game until one of those guys figure it out. And if they never figure it out, maybe they'll just be better off the bench. Hey, you got Jonathan Kaminga out there. If Andrew Wiggins is struggling, give Kaminga minutes. Don't just give Wiggins all of the minutes because it's Wiggins. No, 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 no. You have Steph Curry on this team. You still have a chance. And I like the Warriors over the Lakers because the Warriors are clicking and the Warriors have something that they can rely on. They have the the continuity. This is a team that has played together for years. They have a system. They have a direction. They know their strengths. They know their weaknesses. They know their roles. Very, very good structure for them to have when it comes to the playoffs. The Lakers, because they have these roster turnarounds year in and year out, because they have so many different type of players, one night Austin Reeves is is is, is being a guy. One night uh, D'Angelo Russell gets hot and he and he's doing shit. You know what I mean? You're probably going to have a night where Spencer Dinwiddie catches fire. Then you got AD and LeBron, obviously. So it's just hard to really project for the Lakers. The Warriors is a little bit more structure. It's a little bit more uh, familiarity for me to to rely on there. So that that that's that's really my my top questions for the Western Conference teams. To wrap up our East, we have the Magic. My thing with them is can they compete at a high level with the lack of three-point shooting? They don't take a lot of threes. They don't make a lot of threes. They don't have the three-point shooting. And because Paulo Bencaro and, and Franz Wagner play the type of way that they do, you really need guys that can open up those driving lanes. I think Paulo Bencaro is going to take another step in his career when the when the Magic pair him with reliable three-point shooting. And we're going to see that come back to, to fire against them in the playoffs. Teams are going to shrink that floor, and they're going to have a lot of different gaps filled with bodies when Paulo catches the ball. And Paulo's going to see a lot of help in the gaps. And if he's play how I've seen him play, he's going to make the right play, and he's going to kick it out to guys, and they're probably going to miss those shots because they don't have a sniper. They didn't go out and get a buddy healed. You know, they, they don't have that dynamic point guard you know they don't i would love for them to get an anthony simons or something like that they don't have that yet so um that's my main concern with the with the magic can they make enough threes are they going to take enough threes and can they be dynamic enough to have driving lanes for apollo and franz because when they're able to do that they can get their own but both guys are also very smart and willing passers and um yeah man that that that's 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 tough to not have in the playoffs when it gets a little bit more half courty um, the Bulls, do they even want to push for the playoffs? Is this something you want to do, Chicago? Do you want to be a playing team? Do you really want to set yourself up like that? Because y'all got some guys who can get hot and win you a playing game. DeMar DeRozan can can do that. Kobe White can do that. Vucevic can can have a great game, and now y'all in the playoffs for no damn reason, for no damn reason. So do y'all like? Do y'all want to fight for this? But no Zach, no Lonzo, no Pat Will now. 
is this is I guess you set yourself up to say yeah because you didn't do shit at the trade deadline. This would be a lot easier of a question if you folded the cards and made the proper moves that we projected y'all or asked y'all to make at the deadline. But this is another year of the Bulls buying into the fact that they have something with the rest of us see nothing. They'll plan to play in. If the play-in started today, I would probably take the Hawks over the Bulls, and it would just be a waste of damn time. And if they did beat the Hawks, they would probably lose the next game. So I, I really don't know when it comes to Bulls. Um, I'm not sure why they even want to would do that. I think the rebuild or the retooling has been um, evident, but they just choose to not to. And the Hawks, they have the worst defense in the NBA. Can you defend at a, at a good enough level to compete? In a play-in, in a playoffs, whatever it is, can you guys defend with some type of pride, some type of effort, and something out there that gives you a chance to win games? Really good offenses, especially when Trey Young is out there. We know he's out right now with the with the hand injury. Are y'all going to be able to stay afloat by getting stops and managing the offense? Again, another situation. If that offense drops for the defense to go up, that's fine. But you can't have a potent offense and you give all of the shit right back up on the defensive side of the basketball. Those are my main and biggest questions for each playoff team. A lot of it is around the defense. A lot of it is around getting stops. Health. Like we talked about in the intro, the health is going to play a big part of the playoffs. It's already played a big part in the regular season, but the more these teams can get healthy at the right time, that's what it's going to look like. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if that plays the biggest part in the, in the playoffs. If, 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 if somebody can get healthy at the right time, there's a run for you. You know what I mean? So, um, as always, I appreciate y'all. I'm super excited. The second half of the season has, has officially begun, and we're seeing some really incredible basketball. Victor Wimbyama obviously had the 5x5. Five uh, I think that the game before that, he had a chance. That he was maybe, what, one assist, two assists away from a 5x5. Five five. That's been extremely exciting um, to see him continue to grow as a player before our eyes. He's 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 growing. You know, dog years, they age slowly. Dog year, the dogs age slowly. Vic is aging quickly. He's already, to me, a second-year player. His rookie year was from game zero to game 41. Now from 41 to 82 is his second year. Next year, when we at the top of the year, he won't be a, a second-year player. To me, he'll be a third-year guy. He his, his sophomore season is happening right now. And that, to me, has been extremely exciting to watch and to see him continue to grow, continue, to, to see him continue to define himself, redefine himself as one of those top players without needing five years uh, of, of, of waiting is, is, is dope to see. So, uh, we got a lot of content coming to the channel, the PBD Plug channel, even outside of the Heliocentric podcast. So make sure, again, you are subscribed if you enjoy this type of content because a lot is going to be coming now that we're in that stretch of the season where I think a lot of teams are going to be a lot more competitive and they're going to play a lot more harder to try to etch themselves in the playoff race. So I love y'all. I appreciate y'all. I hope y'all have a wonderful week. I will see you guys tomorrow. Uh, on numbers on the board make sure you are heading over there and subscribed on youtube to see that podcast with myself d mills mike and king of the fourth quarter aka kenny beecham um and as always i'll see you guys next week i'm out peace